our scripture reading today is, is almost from the maps. So from Revelation chapter 21, the last book of the Bible, the second to last chapter. Um, some of you, uh, I don't think it's in the movie, so it's only if you've read the books will recognize the title of the sermon. It's from uh, the third book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy in The Return of the King. Uh, Samwise Gamgee uh, wakes up in Rivendell, and he wakes up after having uh, basically collapsed in exhaustion in Mordor after Frodo has successfully destroyed the ring. And when he opens his eyes, Gandalf, the wizard that he had seen fall to his death in the first book, is standing before him to welcome him. And he exclaims, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And in that simple question, Tolkien captures the hope that every Christian has in the return of the King, in the return of Jesus Christ. The, the deepest longing that every Christian has is not simply that everything happy will come true. It's a deeper thing for everything sad to come untrue. Because you can have happy things come true. You can have wishes and dreams and desires come true that don't have much of an impact on the sad things that have come true. And it's not that those happy things aren't happy and that you can't rejoice in them when they happen and that you don't laugh over good times, but there are sad things that some happy things can't balance. The promise of the gospel is actually that everything sad will one day come untrue. And the first eight verses of Revelation open up the, the, the story, the, end, the ending chapter, like when this will all begin. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha. And the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So these are the opening lines of the last two chapters of the Bible. And as we've pointed out before, these last two chapters in the Bible, combined with the first two chapters of the Bible, are the only four chapters in the Bible where everything, in the words of the Lego movie, is awesome. The only four chapters in the Bible where there is no sorrow. There is no sadness. There is no need. Everything is perfect. The first two chapters, especially chapter 1 of Genesis, establishes it with that, that refrain that goes seven times. It was good. It was good. It was good. And the seventh time, it was very good. But Revelation 21 and 22 don't take us back to Genesis 1 and 2. It's not a return or a rewind. It's better than that. It's new. It's qualitatively better, different. It is more. There are pictures of Genesis 1 and 2, but it's bigger. It's greater. It's grander. Genesis 3, 4, and 5 introduce in a very 
a stunning way everything that went wrong and everything that's wrong with the world today. And it can be summarized with the three, well, basically our three enemies, our three, if we're honest with ourselves, unconquerable enemies. Satan, sin, and death. Left to ourselves, we are no match for Satan, for our own sin, and for death. Chapter 3 introduces Satan. Chapters 3 and 4 introduce sin. And chapter 5 introduces death. And all in such stark ways. Satan, we see in Genesis 3, he's a deceiver. He's a liar. And the thing is, it doesn't matter how historically old his deception was, we still can't see through it today. He has not changed his lie even a little, and we still buy it. All he has to do is ask, did God really say You won't die. I mean, the, honestly, I mean, wouldn't God want you to have this? Wouldn't God want you to do this if he knew how happy it made you? I mean, isn't that God's goal, your happiness? How, how can God take this thing that makes you so happy and tell you it's not good for you? That's, that can't be true. That, that can't be right. You know what? I think... God doesn't have your happiness in heart. I don't think he has your best. I think, in fact, if you did this, you would be so much wiser. You'd be so much smarter. Like, you would understand the world. It's the people that don't do these things. They're the ones that don't understand. They're so naive. But you, you're smarter than all of that. It's the same lie. It's weird how we can look at it with Adam and Eve and be like, dude, you had everything. It was, it was a perfect garden. It was perfect weather. It was perfect food. He said, you can have everything here, just not that. And you were like, oh, I think I'll have that. It's like, how could you, how could you be so foolish? But how many of us are willing to look with the same eyes at the sins we give into? Just wake up the next morning and look back and say, what were the lies I believed that led me to that? Oh, you have everything. Well, not everything. You could have more. And then through that, sin. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, the sin, it's, it's overwhelming, the description of sin in Adam and Eve And then in Cain, and just into the next seven generations. Just in chapter 3, we've got uh, lust. We've got uh, hiding and covering our, our sin rather than confession. We've got blaming the woman you gave me, blaming both Eve and God. You know, everything was fine until you stepped in, God. I needed to help me, and look what you did. 
The woman, that's the serpent, he tricked me. But then chapter 4, we just, we just get to their children, to Cain. And we have resentment and jealousy and anger and rage and hatred and murder and deception and denial and self-pity. All of that just in chapter 4. Just in one guy. Then it moves on to pride and lust and sexual deviancy and anger and rage and murder and arrogance. All of this... And we haven't even turned more than one page from the sevenfold, it is good. It was good. It was very good. And then just so that we don't miss the consequences, the wages of sin, chapter 5, the genealogy from Adam to Noah, and just the refrain that you can't get over. And he died, 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 and he died eight times. Whether coincidentally or intentionally, one more time, then it was good. Satan, sin, death. These are three enemies that you and I are powerless to defeat. And so then, look at Revelation 20. The the chapter just before the last two chapters. In Revelation 20, in verse 7, we read, And so when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints of the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The deceiver, Satan, will be defeated in verses 13 and 14 and the sea gave up the dead who were in it death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire Death will die. Death will die a, a tormented death. If you were uh, at Ilona's funeral when Rich preached on how we, uh, when we watch movies, we want, sometimes bad guys are so bad, like we need them to die 
a screaming, horrific, I can't show this movie to my kids, death. Death is going to die that kind of death. Death that none of us can conquer will be conquered finally one day. And sin, in verses 11 to 15 here, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it for his presence from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and the And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So picture just a a library a vast library of books. And each book with a name, each book a biography, each book an all-about-me paper. Do you remember those in elementary school and then middle school and then high school? Like every year at the beginning of the school year, you have to write this all-about-me paper. But that's not really true, is it? I mean, who actually writes, honestly, an all-about-me paper? It's like, well, yesterday I kicked my sister down the stairs, and uh, no, nobody does that. We don't actually write all-about-me papers. We write, enough about me for you to like me more than I deserve to be liked. There is a book in heaven with your name on it. And the subtitle of the book under your name is And All That He or She Has Ever Thought or Done or Said. And there is another book. And that book has the names of those for whom Christ died written in it. And if that book is opened, well, when that book is opened, and your name is found, the book on the shelf changes titles. Because the inside of the book is still the same, but the name on the book on the outside is Jesus. And all that you have ever thought or done or said counted against him. And his book of all that he thought and said and did counted for you. And sin will be taken care of. Sin will be defeated either in those who have refused to repent or in Christ who refuses 
to lose any. Because our enemies, sin, Satan, death, like we are powerless to overcome them. Only God can overcome them. Only God himself, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the root and descendant of David. Adam failed. Cain failed. Noah failed. Abraham could not resist Satan or sin or death. We need a better father than Father Abraham. We need an everlasting father. Moses could not resist Satan or sin or death. We need a better shepherd, a better lawgiver, not just one who would give the law, but one who could keep the law. David could not resist Satan or sin or death. We need a better king, a better shepherd, David's son, yet David's Lord. Jesus resisted and defeated Satan. You you have Adam in a perfect garden with everything he could possibly want, and the second Adam in a desert after fasting for 40 days. The same deceiver. And Jesus resists and defeats Satan. Jesus resists and defeats sin. He faced every temptation that we have faced and faced it without sin. And you think about it, for Jesus, that means that it just kept building. Because you ever notice how after your sin, you're less tempted to do that sin at the moment? Like you blow up at your wife and you're like, oh, I shouldn't do that. I should I need to really control. Like, you don't think, hey, I'm going to do that again. That was fun. Like, when you sin, there's like almost an immediate momentary relief from temptation to do that sin again. You're like, I got to stop that. And as you resist, the temptation grows and builds. And it's like, don't you want this? Wouldn't this be easier? Shouldn't you just relieve yourself? Shouldn't you just, don't you deserve this? Jesus never gave in. That means temptation just built throughout his life. Wouldn't it be easier if you just took care of yourself? Wouldn't it be easier if you just proved to everyone beyond a shadow of a doubt who you are? Wouldn't, it, wouldn't life be easier if you just bow to me and I'll, I'll just give you the world? I know God's going to give it to you if you die, but if you bow to me, I'll give it to you now. And he refuses And he resists and defeats sin. And he doesn't resist in order to defeat death. He succumbs in order to defeat death. He takes what our sin deserves. He takes what Satan's ultimate goal is. He receives it and in the throes of death defeats death. There is so much imagery from Genesis 1 and 2 that come in in Revelation 21 and 22. And you should, uh, you know, today even, it's the Lord's Day, and you like reading Genesis 1 and 2 and then Revelation 21 and 22, there's so much that comes back but is bigger and better. There's a bride presented to Adam and a bride 
presented to Christ. In the garden, God would come down in the cool of the day and visit. In the city, God will dwell there. Literally, tabernacle. Like the word from John 1, the word put on flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. God himself will dwell with us, not just visiting occasionally, but making his home with us. There's a garden in Genesis with one gate, and by Genesis 3, it's being guarded by an angel to keep mankind out. In Revelation, there's a city with 12 gates that are always open, and they're not guarded, but they're attended by 12 angels, and all are welcome, and all are invited. And I know some of you are like, I don't know, Leonard, I don't like cities, I like gardens, you know, and you people that go to the mountains for vacation, that's because there's sin in you. You have to get that out. I'm just kidding. Maybe. So, like, I did some calculations for you in case you're worried about living in a city. It's 1.2 billion acres. This city in in Revelation 21 and 22 1.2 billion acres. So if you need a visual, Texas times seven. That's the city. You've got enough room to spread out. You're going to be okay. Like, it's not like they, they do those calculations where, oh, if the whole population lived in Texas, we could all have a quarter acre lot. And like, it's like, wow, that would be weird. But apparently that would be enough because most of us live on quarter acre lots. And, but the beauty is like, if you want more than a quarter acre, like partner up with someone. <laughs> Pick a group and say, hey, I, would, I, I could live with you forever. And then we'd have five acres. And that'd be enough. That'd be all right. Other, other imagery that comes in. Uh, oh, in Genesis, there's a sun and moon to mark the seasons and the days. In Revelation, there's no need for sun or moon. There is no sun, there is no moon. And it says, because God himself is their light. Jesus, the lamb, is the lamp. And I was realizing that that means there's no calendars. Like there's no marking of time. There's no need for the marking of time. There's no marching forward towards something or away from anything. There's just being. And everything that is good, you'll be allowed to do because there's no deadlines, there's no calendars. You want to take a four-hour nap today? Take a four-hour nap You wake up tomorrow and it'll be the same day. It's still today. And you'll have today forever. And you won't have to say, well, we'll see about that tomorrow because it'll be today, always. Always today. Never tomorrow. Never the end of a day. Never the, I should have done more. Never the, I could have done, I should have done. You'll just... Have all 
the time that you need. A 10-hour conversation. Like, we, we know that these things are good. Like, you know, like when you, you have those moments where a friend or a, a relative comes over and, and you sit and you talk and suddenly it's 3 in the morning. And that's the only reason you go to bed because, you know, I got to, there are things tomorrow. But there won't be because there won't be tomorrow. There will just be today. And you can have a seven-hour conversation followed by a seven-hour nap, followed by a seven-hour conversation. Like, it'll, like, there won't be end. It won't be over. There won't even be night. The tree of life that they're barred from now stands straddling the city, straddling the streets, straddling the river, this giant tree of life that just brings healing. None of the curses in Genesis 3, every curse in Genesis 3 will be gone. There will be no more battling with Satan. There will be no more striving with lovers. There will be no more pain in raising your children. There will be no more childlessness. There will be no more fruitless and pointless and difficult work. And there will be no more sickness. There will be no more sorrow. Eyesight will never fail. Muscles will never give out. Our minds will be whole. Like there won't be those things that keep every parent awake as they worry about their children. Like, that'll be gone. Our children will be whole. Like, we won't have to worry about tomorrow. First of all, there won't be a tomorrow. And everything will be whole. No more sorrow. No more dying. Christ himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Because everything in this world that makes us weep will be defeated. Death, departure, loss. We will never taste those again. And not only will we never taste them again, every one that we've tasted, we will untaste. The departures will be undone. Everything sad will come untrue. I used to just have such a small view of that. Such a small understanding of God's ability and willingness and desire to wipe out every tear from my eyes. But 
you can't, like you can't get over, like there's only four chapters of tearless existence and we're just not there yet. And so that's a huge promise that one day I will wipe every tear out of your eye. And the, like, wipe every tear out of your eye is a weird construction. Like, it's a weird grammatical sentence, even in the Greek. Because you don't usually wipe tears out of eyes. You wipe them off of cheeks or you wipe them off. You wipe, like, but to say I'm going to wipe every tear out of your eye means, like, all the sources of tears will be gone. That is a day worth waiting for. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. We are absolutely powerless on our own to stand against Satan, to stand against sin. Our only hope is in you, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Bridegroom, our Lamb, our Champion, our King, our Brother and Friend. Give us hearts that desire the defeat of sin and death. Even as we give in to temptation and continue to sin, draw us back to you that we might repent and live. In Jesus' name, amen.